Welcome to The Mockingcast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm David Zoll, your host, and in just a few moments, I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Sarah Condon and RJ Heyman. We come to you every other Friday to explore a few of the places where we currently see grace and its absence playing out in unexpected and compelling ways. We're glad to have you with us. Praise the Lord. Happy November to both of you. What do you have to say for yourselves? There's a big sale at the Gap right now, (laughs) and I I have a few tips. Um, I feel like we all saw Spider-Man and wanted Marissa Tomei's butt. They have jeans that will make that somewhat possible, but no matter how high you go in size, ladies, you still won't be able to breathe. So as an alternative, I highly suggest the um, overalls, which I purchased. You purchased overalls <laughs> today. I did. It's wow. so funny. I was having a conversation with my neighbor, and I was like, oh, my God, have you tried those jeans that are, like, real high-waisted and they make your butt look good? She's like, yeah, my husband loves those. I was like, poor Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I bought overalls. <laughs> you got overalls. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Marissa Tomei, Marissa Tomei does not age, does she? Oh my gosh. That whole I'm just like the whole thing. I'm like, this woman, I mean, she and Paul Rudd should anyway. get together and they can they just sh- uh, you know incredible. that's right, they can age gloriously. Yeah. Or not age as the case may yeah. be. Well, speaking of people not aging, RJ, how you oh, doing? Hey, right. hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, you know, helping my son with his college applications, so that's that's taken up a lot of time. We have a senior at home, so we're very much in that season. And uh, that was that was that was two weeks ago. Too. I know, and it's mm. it's going to kind of continue until at least through mid December, and then tell we'll see. me something I don't already know, RJ. Yeah, mm. I, know. I I I don't know what I've I've, I've got nothing to say. What can I say? Uh, the Astros lost. Have we talked since the Astros? Lost. That was that was. Div- Although Dave, no. do you want to talk about the glorious moment that you had in your household and the uh, you know contemptuous uh, text your wife sent me upon the Nationals' victory? <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty good. It's pretty good. Tastes so sweet. I know. Well, good for you so guys. Sweet. At least it wasn't the Yankees. That's all I'm going to say. At least it wasn't the Yankees. Mm. Oh, baseball so compelling. Mm. Right? <laughs> well, you two. Um, I'm not sure if you remember all those people we tried to cancel. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we, we did have an f- episode about cancel culture. Well, it turns out they're all hanging out together. I love that. Uh, Amazing. This is, that is the title of an article by John McDermott in the New York Times, and quite an article, basically the same week that uh, President Obama comes out and talks about uh, sort of cautioning against the uh, online denunciation and personal purity and being, quote-unquote, politically woke. Uh, he, he came out and said, if all you're doing is cast stones, you're probably not going to get that far. For those that don't know, the term for people who have been thrust out of social or professional circles uh, because they've written something that kind of goes against the grain or is seen as offensive or um, simply not permissible, either online or in the real world or sometimes both, uh, that term is canceled. And there are varying degrees of cancellation, uh, and this is something that's popular to to write about now. I think there's almost as much writing about canceling as there is actually people being canceled, but there are people who get canceled uh, for 
straight up illegality and crime and like the Harvey Weinsteins of the world and the Bill Cosbys, but then you kind of go down the line to the to Roseanne Barr and all the way to sort of, sort of Scarlett Johansson for endorsing the wrong Garrison Keeler product. Yes, Garrison Keeler. And so this is definitely something in which we're living in. It seems to be a phenomenon primarily uh, on the left. Uh, and what this article does, though, is so fascinating. It says that all these canceled people are hanging out together. They quote Jonathan Kay, who's the editor of Quillette, the uh, online magazine, and self-proclaimed ambulance chaser for the canceled. He says this, he says, when I went to law school in the 90s, the presumption of innocence was seen as a progressive value because who is mostly wrongly accused of crime? Racialized minorities, blacks, Hispanics, the poor. More often than not, it protects marginalized communities. And now the presumption of innocence is seen as a conservative value. And that troubles me. They go on to quote another uh, canceled uh, uh, intellectual saying, the biggest problem we have as a culture is that we can't define who the establishment is. Is the establishment the woke media people who own 99% of the keyboards in this country, or is it the old canceled guys in media? Who's the punk rock band and who's the corporate rock band? They quote Dave Rubin, another podcaster who imagines a near future where everyone is canceled for 15 minutes. It's really, though, a profile of a woman named Katie Herzog, who wrote a uh, piece about uh, gender transitions, and especially those who halt or reverse them, and it, it caused such an opera that she was very much uh, canceled, at, but she says that she has begun to advise other people through their cancellations. Mm. Her advice to them is to embrace being canceled. Now, listen to this. She says, it's deeply painful, but it can be positive in many ways. Before this happened, I was much more dogmatic. I was more of a purist. Now I'm smarter. I'm more skeptical, mm. but I'm more empathetic. And I'm much less quick to judge than I was before. And I'm much less sure of my own correctness, which is why I hope everyone is canceled. Now, we, uh, Francis Bufford is uh, once called the church, the League of the Guilty, uh, or Hypocrites Anonymous, however you want to put it. But, um, and, you know, whenever you talk about cancel culture, you risk sounding just like a jerk or uh, an alarmist. Um, and certainly none of this is to condone the real active crimes that we, that, you know, a Bill Cosby uh, situation. And yet, uh, it seems to be trickling down in ways that are getting everyone's attention to the extent that canceled almost means outcast. And uh, what uh, Christianity, the church, what have you, um, if it is the religion of the outcast, uh, what does that look like? And this, this, this idea that all of the canceled people are, are hanging out together, uh, I just as a, as a person who cares about uh, this sort of stuff and who, are, who, who goes to church every week, I thought to myself, wow, that's some, that's some new persuasive words. Um, what do you guys think? So, little known fact, we actually do this podcast because we all three have been canceled. And so, this is us actually just hanging out in that cancellation space. Um, I, oh gosh, I have so many thoughts about this. I mean, I, God, I hope that people who fit this kind of social category of being canceled can find a church. I mean, you know, we 
read that beautiful piece that Garrison Keillor wrote about finding a church uh, in the midst of his cancellation. And he still writes about, I mean, he's like a faithful member of the church in Manhattan. Like he writes about that church pretty regularly now and has found a spiritual home there. And it's my hope that people would, but I, I do, gosh, I worry culturally so much about what, I don't know what we think the end game is for these people. I mean, that's the terrifying thing to me, right? It's that whole idea of secular hell. It's like, once you're canceled, like, can you get out? Or is that always with you? What does that look like? Um, How does it color your narrative? And then also, gosh, there was a brilliant piece, Dave, that someone wrote for us a couple, maybe two years ago. I think John Mayer factored into it about um, kind of like how we judge artists now by their sins in some ways and like not by their art. Like you can't, you can't, like, can you even enjoy this anymore? And the thing that happens, well, people are real screwed up for reasons. People aren't just like out there doing horrible, horrible things because they want to. Mm which is a thing that we don't talk about. We're just like, you know, this person did a horrible thing and they're a horrible person and they have to be banned to like the outermost steps of hell. We don't talk about, I mean, I think specifically here about John Mayer who said some super racist stuff, some super misogynist stuff in an interview, blah, blah, blah. Well, he's sober now, (laughs) you know, like, and has done a lot of interviews where he's talked about how much that's changed his life. Like, But that actually asks us to have grace, which there's just no secular context for, and forgiveness. Mm. Kanye West has been talking a lot about that recently, about stuff he said when he was clinically depressed and the influence. And and people, you know, a lot of Christians are going back and forth, like, can we take this seriously? Is this for real? Like, does he, is Jesus really king? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, yeah, it's very interesting. The, The people we are and are not willing to be empathetic towards. Yes, it's really, and I'm, listen, like, I I know when we talk about this stuff, everyone's, well, I'm thinking of specifically of, I'm thinking of Harvey Weinstein. I mean, I'm thinking of these people who are just like horrible, horrible sexual predators. And, oh, it's so uncomfortable that there's grace and mercy and room in the kingdom even for them. Mm. Um, That sucks. <laughs> but, um, but it doesn't undo it, folks. You know what I mean? Like there's, and, and, and yet like what I think is happening right now is yes, that is a whole category of horrible things that have happened, but then like all this other stuff gets lumped into it that doesn't even begin to meet that same level of, of horror. And, um, and I just like assume, I mean, I love this idea that we're all going to have 15 minutes of cancellation. Like I just assume that that's true on Mm -hmm. some level, like that, because we've all done horrible things. Like we've all done horrible things and eventually they will be found out. I don't know. I mean, I speak for yourself. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But I don't know. I, I wonder about, I mean, thank God the kingdom of heaven doesn't have a cancellation policy. I don't know. Seriously. Yeah. This article reminded me of so many things we've talked about in the past, whether it's the, um, you know, people living in China who've been blacklisted because of the new, kind of social credit mm-hmm. system and they found uh but they found joy and freedom and community with one another or the f- yeah that's they right because like they have out. no one else to hang out with uh or the yeah. photographer who went to sort of quote unquote the other side of the tracks and discovered god there you know discovered that um, yeah. drug addicts 
Chris yeah, Ar- Chris Ar- Ar- yeah. prostitutes mm-hmm. actually, it's not that they've forsaken God because of the uh, difficulty of their lives, but they've embraced God and and one another. But you know, I, I've mentioned this a few times. It, to me, I just always, it always brings up that um, Invisibilia podcast, The End of Empathy, and this idea that part of our culture has decided that empathy is pernicious and ineffective and is willfully doing away with empathy and holding on to anger and grudges. And the yes. way we talked about with Taylor Swift a few yeah. episodes back, because they're like, sure. that's the only way things are going to change. You know, empathy doesn't change anything. We've been empathetic long enough, and now it's time to really, um, you know, uh, put people, take people to task for what they've, for what they've done and to be unforgiving. It's so funny because like, have we been empathetic for long enough? Was it like a good stretch of 18 months after like a Brene Brown book came out that like we all tried empathy and then we're like, we're done. Like that's a hard pass. (laughs) Well, this one historian did say that there was a, there seemed to be a moment, maybe kind of post-World War II, and you think about the Marshall Plan. Uh And the way that America basically rebuilt our enemies, oh, you know, sure. Europe and Japan and said the only yes. end, and the formation yes. of the UN and the European yes. Union and like maybe the only way yeah. to prevent the, the the deaths of tens of millions of people is to actually to try to get along. Um, and that's broken right. down in the last um, 10 or 20 right. years. But I just can't help but think that the ultimate ultimate example of cancellation is Jesus. Yeah. That Jesus was, first of all, he advocated and loved and went to the canceled, and then he himself was canceled by- Literally. The political authority, the religious authority, the crowds, his friends, ultimately kind of God Almighty. Right. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet he he sort of, um, in that cancellation, there is resurrection. Mm-hmm. And that's what all these people have found. Because right there's the impulse to rail against the cancellation, mm-hmm. to get angry at the cancellation, to fight against the cancellation. But once you've actually lost to this uh, unstoppable force, you find something that you um, didn't have before. And it, it reminded me, um, you know, I love what Paul writes in First Corinthians know that God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, um, and at the end of the day, that's the way that God mm. works. And I, you know, you talk about 15 minutes of cancellation, scares me to death because I'm just not, doesn't feel like it'll be 15 minutes. It feels like it'll be the rest of your life. You know, that, that there's there's no coming back from like it. Like you'll never get out of um, it. And yet I know that, you know, yeah. Jesus shows me that that's not true. I... <sighs> I don't know. So I, I'm I'm kind of think I've been thinking about this a lot because, you know, when I first started writing for Mockingbird, I wrote things that were pretty safe. And now and just it's been a gradual process of writing things that I know in some circles have gotten me canceled. Yeah, you're fearless. Sarah. And I mean, literally, people have told me like, oh, well, I I mentioned, you know, I mentioned your work to so-and-so and and they don't like you, you know, like (laughs) such and such group at such and such seminary has decided like they're not going to read your, you Mm. know, they didn't, whatever, all this stuff. And I find so much freedom in that Mm. because I think for a long time, I felt like I had to have everyone like me. Um, Hey, Enneagram 3 listeners. (laughs) And, And like, there's some freedom in being like, no, I'm I'm actually just going to do the work that God's put in front of me and like if it's like it, and if you don't like it you know it was probably meant for you but you don't have to listen to it. Like I don't know, there's there's some freedom in the cancellation that I think we're also afraid of it and understandably um but also like 
there's also something very interesting about it to me. Yeah, well, it's it's very fascinating that the fruit of cancellation of these people's lives is not a doubling down in being a jerk or in being even louder about their whatever views they hold, but it seems like the fruit of cancellation, or maybe it is in some cases, but what they are focusing Humility. in on is how all these people feel freedom, they feel some kindness, they feel understanding for other people who have yes, been canceled. Yeah, yeah. You know, honestly, guys, so a couple years ago, we had this idea, uh, and I floated it by a bunch of folks is to gather up all the fallen pastors we could find, all the people who'd suffered some major public scandal and do a devotional that they wrote. And just to see, because I'd be so interested, how do they view the Bible? Or do, do they view the Bible at all? What would be, you know, hey, uh, you know, trademark, Dave's All or Mockingbird. But they, um, I brought it to, and everyone I brought it to, they said, that sounds fascinating, but uh, we'll pass. You know, or like, I would read yeah. that in a heartbeat. And and I get it because some of these people are super narcissistic and, uh, sure. you know, there'd be money involved and spotlight involved and that's part of it. But I mean, if you could, say you could do it somehow anonymously, but assure everyone that these are famous people they know about and no money's going anywhere, no one's even getting fame for it. I'd be fascinated to read because I know a lot of these, I know some of these people sure. and not just the one people are thinking about, but I, I know Me. S- there isn't a, yeah, it's not me. <laughs> but they, they, a lot of them had their faith is actually much more robust and interesting and they still read the bible and i bet you they read it in a really interesting way oh i'm yeah no really encouraging way yeah, yeah. wouldn't you you knew read that but i would read that who's going to publish it and how yeah. who's going to get canceled for <laughs> for for publishing it i don't yeah. know mockingbird ministry <laughs> mockingbird last ministry. thing you ever publish <laughs> here to be canceled i just know that the christianity is a word of hope for the canceled that's why it does well in jails not because people are Ooh, uh, you know David, look, looking for true. something to do something to do yes. um but it speaks to the victim as well as the perpetrator yes and as you say that's super uncomfortable yep another thing that's uncomfortable Ooh, here we are. Marissa Tomei is <laughs> aging. Oh, yeah. Writing in the New York. This Yorker. is a word just for Marissa Tomei, all right? <laughs> you know, I, this is, I'm channeling my inner Costanza, for those that know that reference. <laughs> uh, Arthur Crystal, writing in the New Yorker, wrote this long essay, but fascinating one, called Why We Can't Tell the Truth About Aging. He says, our senior years are evidently, and he's a man in his mid-70s, are evidently a time to celebrate ourselves and the wonderful things to come, traveling, volunteering, canoodling, acquiring new skills, and so on. No one, it seems, wants to disparage old age. So instead, we get cheerful tidings like Mary Piper's women rowing north, navigating life's currents, and flourishing as we age. Alan D. Castell's better with age, the psychology of successful Wait, aging. can we just, just one thing, can we just cancel the word flourishing? That would make me so happy. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Uh, amen. Um, <laughs> Ashton Applewhite's This Chair Rocks, a manifesto against ageism, and Carl Honoré's Boulder, making the most of our longer lives. Five chatty accounts meant, and there's one more, uh, uh, meant to reassure us that getting old just means that we have to work harder at staying young. These authors aren't blind to the perils of aging. They just prefer to see the upside. Uh, All maintain that seniors are more comfortable in their own skins, experiencing less social anxiety and fewer social phobias, and there is some evidence for this. The strategies these books tend to emphasize is that aging is natural and therefore good, an idea that harks back to Plato. There is, of course, a chance that you may be happier at 80 than you were at 20 or 40, but you are going to feel much worse. 
Bones Weaken. <laughs> we are in Sarah Condon territory here, by the way. Yes, you are. Bones Weaken, eyes strain, hearts flag, bladders empty too often, bowels... Hair thins. Bowels not often enough, <laughs> and toxic proteins build up in the brain to form the plaque and spaghetti-like tangles that are associated with Alzheimer's disease. In short, the optimistic narrative of pro-aging writers doesn't line up with the dark story told by the human body. But maybe that's not the point. And then he goes on, you guys, I think, I don't know if we talk about this, but in 2014, we talked about this maybe way back when. The Atlantic ran that essay by uh, an oncologist and bioethicist, Ezekiel Emanuel. How's that for a name? Um, mm. Who was 57 at the time. Uh, he wrote the essay, Why I Hope to Die at 75. It went viral. See, he believes that by the time he hits the 75 uh, milestone, he will have lived a full life. Uh, he argues that by 75, creativity, originality, and productivity are pretty much gone for the vast, vast majority of us. It's an unselfish outlook, but not quite credible to unevolved people like me, Crystal writes. Having entered my 70s, I don't care that I may not have much to contribute after I'm 75. I'm not sure that I'll have had much to contribute before turning 75. Good for you. Also, Emmanuel seems to be talking talking about artists, intellectuals, and scientists who will be pained by the prospect that their brain power and creativity may ebb in their twilight years, and not about your average working stiff, who after years of toiling in factories or offices may want to spend more time golfing or reading books about golf. At the moment, we seem to be compensating for past transgressions. Far from devaluing age, we assign it value it may not possess. Uh, a contented old age probably depends on what we were like before we became old. Ooh. Vain, self-centered people will likely find aging less tolerable than those who seek meaning in life by helping others. And those fortunate enough to have lived a full and productive life may exit without undue regret. But if you're someone who, oh, for the sake of argument, is unpleasantly surprised that people in their 40s or 50s give you a seat on the bus, or that your doctors are 40 years younger than you are, you just might resent time's insistent drumbeats. But what do I know? I'm just one person who at 71 doesn't feel as good as he did at 61, who is um, fairly certain he's going to feel even worse at 81. I simply know what men and women have always known. The quote, one generation passeth away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. If only the writer had stopped there, and he's quoting Ecclesiastes. Unfortunately, he went on to add, in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. The fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? This too is meaningless. No young person could have written that. Mm. Um, I keep thinking of the Adam Sandler skit on Saturday Night Live about taking vacations and how you're the same person on vacation as you are in real life. Like you're the same person when you're old as you are young. Bear you know? in mind. Yeah. If the pictures you take in Italy will have you in them. <laughs> if like you're sad in Mamaroneck, you may also be sad yes. in Sicily. Oh my gosh. Um, it's so funny to be reading this right now because my parents are taking, they're doing like this dream trip across country right now on the Sunset Limited train nice. um, out west. Yeah. So they're on the train for like days and they've sent all these updates and, you know, mom's in the top bunk because she's, you know, more flexible. Um, and <laughs> I, I mean, I kind of, I love that vision actually that you're just like on a train and it's like doing so much of the work for you. Right. Um I find it really sad that our take 
on the elderly has so much to do with their value still being in work. I mean, I think that's not surprising to us in America, but that they would still have to come up with a value as they age. I also think, like, we've obviously lost the village. I mean, clearly, but they used to have value and elderly people used to have like real actual things they could do, which were like, watch the two year old that was toddling around. You know what I mean? Like that used to be a thing. I mean, for millennia for like maybe all of human history. Yes. That was like, knowing they would survive. They had a purpose. And like, we have just completely taken that away now. And I would be surprised. I'm, I'm not surprised by the idea because we've seen that research that, people in their 80s are happier than people in their 40s. I mean, God, I hope so. But <laughs> that people would be like happier in their 80s now versus like 100 years ago. I don't know about that. I don't know that like 80-year-olds are happier now or less anxious now. That that seems I don't know. That seems very anecdotal to me, but I sort of went to the same place that you went to, Sarah, but just personally speaking, you know, listeners will know that I have a, you know, 17-year-old, a 15-year-old and a 3-year-old. Oh, you're and when so we, old. I'm sorry. You're going to be so old. Exactly. <laughs> and when I first found out we were having, you know, Marshall, I was really excited, but I'd be lying if I didn't say there were times over the past couple of years where I was like, man, we were so close to empty nesterdom, you yeah. know, so close. And now we totally re-upped, you know, my, um, my oldest son is graduating next year, 2020. And I did the math in my head. I was like, when will Marshall graduate? It's 2035. Ooh, from high school, twenty thirty five. I'll be a long time. I'll be sixty. Yeah. Um, but lately, but like based on your skin, you're gonna look like you're thirty eight. So just let's well, that's just name my it. hope. I'm moisturizing <laughs> regularly. What, what will what will Kanye be up to then? <laughs> Who knows? But my but lately, I've just been loving spending time with him. He is so extroverted. Mm. All he wants to do is get out of the house and go on an adventure and. Everything is fun with him. Like grocery shopping is fun with him. And suddenly I'm like, what did I think I was gonna do with myself for the next 20 oh, years? I that love was so that. that was so important that it would be better than this. Yeah. And I can't think of anything. Nothing. Like he's, he's gonna things. be he's gonna be my buddy, man. We are gonna go to I don't know. We're gonna go scuba diving. We're gonna I mean, the other day it was 50 degrees outside. It's like, Daddy, let's go to the beach. I'm like, <laughs> mm, I don't maybe tomorrow. Let's see. It actually could be warm enough tomorrow to go to the beach. But it's it's going to be good, and it's actually going to be good for my wife too because she's. Sure. I mean, we love spending time together, but she's an introvert, and she mm. needs time to herself. And I was, if I was just hanging out all the time, be like, "Hey, honey, what are we doing today?" She'd be like, "Please go away now." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, it's going to be good, and that aging is about. It's it's not about accomplishments or creativity or whatever that doctor said who wants to die right. at seventy five. It's about right. relationships and and love and um, enjoying one another. And so I've, I'm I'm deeply I'm now I'm at the moment. I mean, t- talk to me tomorrow. But at the moment, I am deeply grateful for my little three year old who is you know going to be a lot of fun for the next however many years he, he'll tolerate me. Mm. I love that. Well, also, is that Doctor Seventy Five yet? Because we need to roll up to his house and be like, "Time's up, bud." He's that's yeah. right. <laughs> he, no, he he definitely included some caveat in there. He's like, "I reserve the right to change my mind." Yeah, oh, yeah. Here's right. a whopper and a flight of stairs. Exactly. <laughs> no, but the, it's uh, the. The, the trying to paint a happy face on death is because that's a lot of what's going on when we talk sure. about the because it, you're right 
it is the cult of productivity saying that we're only worthwhile to the to the extent that we're uh, um, our, our vitality is connected directly to our productivity or even our creativity rather than simply our presence. And there's mm-hmm. a, there's a dignity in the human heartbeat, um, or however you want to put that. Uh, but uh, I, I also think that it's a way to, you know, when Sarah, you're saying, get in the pool, you're going to die, which I think we're, at this point, I've heard about that so much. We are going to be print the t-shirts are, are, are in, in process. <laughs> <laughs> get in the pool. And then on the back, you're going to die. That's um, funny. But it's a summer look for 2020. It is, it is an attempt to, you know, paint a smile on a, on a, on a, on a, on a, on a skeleton or something like that. And there is something that, you know, at least is, is in the, in the Bible, we see death is really not natural. You know, there's something wrong. There's, if we feel like it's a transgression, if we feel like it's a, a, a deep, deep violation somehow, I think that we're not crazy for feeling that way. It's, it's even a, a, a yeah. verdict, but it's not something to be psyched about. Um, I mean, as, as people who believe in the resurrection, there's, of course, death has no sting and all of that, which sometimes feels hard to grasp a hold of. But I know that the tendency to want to... Um, act as though or to be Pollyanna or something about death itself and act or just craven denial is something that is um, really, really hard to watch. And I know I engage in it myself. Well, and I know I I would like to say, I think they are not saying death is natural. They think they're saying death is natural. What they're actually saying is you have to work your ass off until the very moment you die. And that's the only reason you're a value and have any place on this planet. Um, and that's very different and, and really like a sad thing. I mean, there's a gentleman, um, years and years ago I encountered in ministry who, um, was very elderly and was fixated with a park and a building. It was all he could talk about. I remember one day running into him and saying, Hey, how's it going? And he said, very disappointed, very disappointed and launched into this whole thing. And honestly, I don't know if it was dementia hitting when old age was hitting with maybe some OCD that he's had all his life. But like, it was heartbreaking to me that he felt like this was the thing that had to push him constantly. I mean, I, I don't know. Cause I all, I just looked at him and thought like, don't you want like, I don't know, like a gin and tonic, a piece of chocolate cake, a nap. Like, I don't know. Matlock. Matlock. Columbo. <laughs> Designing women. If you're me at 80. I mean, there, there are so many. Oh my options. gosh. Jean smart in watchmen. She's inc- mm. from designing women. She's well, mm-hmm. Ben Madison wrote something really nice on Facebook last week about Halloween and about, you know, he was sort of coming back to the whole Christian thing of like, no Halloween, it's demonic. Like don't celebrate it. And he was like, look, we can, we can sort of look face in the, we can look death in the face because um, we know that it's not the end. Like we take it seriously, but we also, we don't need to be terrified of it because we right. know that Jesus has overcome it. And I thought, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't talk about Halloween, but we did just celebrate that and, um, or, you know, some of us did anyway. Uh, and I think there's something to that, you know, that, that we, yeah, we don't need yeah. to, to fear death too much. I went as uh, Marissa Tomei. Um, <laughs> actually, uh, well, I went as a tired mom. Speaking so. of death and dying, it's t- <laughs> it's time to that time of the week where we talk about the church apocalypse or whatever mm. we the you know every our week special segment our special segment and yeah. lots and lots of articles Pew Research. This. We need TJ to like insert theme music right now. Do, 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 do. Um, <laughs> church apocalypse. Wah, okay, sorry. So there's a couple things. So Sarah, you wrote. A, a wonderful piece about uh, 
what you think or what you say to people when they tell you they they can't have a hard time finding a church. But this was sort of I want to talk about it in light of the um, the you know the sobering numbers that are coming out about lack of church attendance and the decline of um, that as a real convention in American life. Um, the first thing I want to say, Christine Emba, who's a great writer for the Washington Post, she wrote an article called Why Millennials Are Skipping Church and Not Going Back. She talks about the numbers that are so striking and says the drop-off has been most pronounced among people ages 23 to 38, a.k.a. millennials. But she says, uh, usually the idea is that people come back once they have kids, they start going back to church, they get involved in civic institutions. She says, 30% of us, 30% of us now have children under the age of six. It's just that we're not drifting back into worshiping or volunteering. Well, so what? Will it matter for anyone other than Sunday ushers whose collection baskets have suddenly gotten lighter? Yes, actually, she writes. Religious and other civic organizations will atrophy, and not just from lack of funds. Faith and practice can't persevere through our generation without attendance and neither can the hope they tend to bring. And while that may not seem like a problem now, it will soon, because we still want relationships and transcendence uh, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Our drive for these things isn't likely to wane, despite how ambivalent we might feel about the liturgies or the coffee hours or the pastor's politics. She says, some of us are turning to convenient, low-commitment substitutes for faith and fellowship. Astrology, uh, yoga, self-care, posting away on Twitter, playing more games, hashtag seculosity. (laughs) She didn't put that in there, but she should. Hey, now. She meant to. (laughs) But here's what really worries me. Few of these activities are as geared towards building deep relationships and communal support as the religious traditions the millennials are leaving behind. Actively participating in a congregation means embedding oneself in a community. This involves you in the lives of others and the other way around, their joys and sadnesses, connections, and expectations. By leaving religion, we're shrugging off the ties that bind, not just loosening them temporarily, which is freeing in some sense until it's not. In longer-range studies, researchers are also seeing that millennials are busier, but also much more lonely. Perhaps as a result, they're having much less sex, attributable to fewer long-term relationships, exactly the sort of tie-ups that used to be fostered by churches and civic organizations. I love this article because she's sort of, it's, it's reasonable, um, and it's, she, she's speaking as a millennial about millennials, but not going nuts, and uh, she, she, she's sort of saying, here's she doesn't even engage the actual doctrine, but she, she, there is a sadness to it that's not um, alarmist. Um, I also, just as an addendum, Ross Douthat in the New York Times wrote, wrote a sort of a giant sort of qualifier about the, the narrative of, of uh, Christianity's collapse, which has become a story and has become a thing that people feel like they need to be reporting on, and therefore it might feel like overreported. He says that really what we're seeing is an evaporation of non- nominal Christians, um, that the Pew survey shows a definite decline in weekly church going, um, but it's really the disaffiliation of people who once would have been loosely attached to churches and denominations, cultural Catholics, Christmas and Easter Methodists, Jack Mormons, and the like. But the recent Gallup numbers, Gallup, different, different, uh, uh, organization, indicate that reported weekly and almost weekly church attendance has only edged down lately, falling from 38% in 2017 from 42% in 2008. Sarah, you were sort of talking about church. RJ, you guys are both, uh, you know, collared, uh, ordained folks. Um, where, People of collar. Where, <laughs> where are you at with all this? What you, what are you, what you thinking? What do you think, RJ? 
<laughs> you were you're on the you're the one who wrote about it. Talk about the piece you wrote. I mean, I think people need to go to church. I think, and that's what I wrote Get about. Get them in the ark, and I I think, hum. Get them in the ark, as you said. Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's a real problem culturally. I think people are incredibly lonely and I think they're having a difficult time finding community. I think we're all, I think anger is our lifeblood right now in a way that it's perhaps never been. And um, people are overworked and overstressed. And um, I I think it's the one place you can go for relief. Um, And I also think when really tragic things in your life happen, these communities that are kind of fill in for church are not communities that are going to take care of you at all. They're not going to take care of you when you age. They're, they could give a shit about you when you age. You know what I mean? Like churches are going to do their best. They're not going to be perfect, mind you. I've always in some way been in pastoral care um, in church communities. And I know that's always a struggle, but they're really going to try. They're going to try. And, um, I think in this era when (laughs) we're all eating foods out of bowls because it's fast and we can stare at our screen, we can all be in like really good shape and have, um, you know, the best makeup, the best clothes, the best everything. Um, I think we're really focused on immortality on some level. And I think we don't think we need this stuff. And then we can't figure out why we're sad. We can't figure out why we're depressed. We can't, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's, I think it's very complicated. Mm. My thoughts would be, you know, for people that are in church work, for Christians or full-time Christians who are frustrated because people aren't coming to church or because they're seeing declining attendance or just remember how hard it is to get up on a Sunday morning, especially if you have kids and to get them dressed and looking presentable, and you're probably gonna have a fight in the car on the way over. You know, it is tough to make your way to church on Sunday morning. And so I think it's important for churches just to recognize that. And that when someone um, has the courage and energy to darken the doors of your church for the first time, you know, uh, to do everything you can to to make them feel as welcome as possible. And also to recognize that newcomers are always gonna come five to 10 minutes early you know, uh, and and probably feel a little bit alone um, for their first few minutes in church as the regulars kind of stream in between start time and five minutes past start time. Um, and then, I don't know, there probably aren't a whole lot of non-church-going folks who, uh, who listen to our podcast. Although, you know, I think in your piece you said, Sarah, there are people that listen to the podcast who are involved in Mockingbird who say they're thankful because they haven't been able to find a worshiping community. Yeah. Right. Didn't you say something like yes. that? Yes. No. I mean, I get emails on a regular basis. Me, yeah. Yeah. Me too. Sad, yeah. It's a, yeah. How sad that makes you. Um, and and yeah. so, so I guess there are people. And and say a few things. What if you have kids? Remember, it's a great way to, um, you know, get rid of them for an hour yes. on Sunday morning and have a moment of yes. quiet contemplation, either with your spouse or by yourself. That can be Ooh. a really nice thing. Um, Drop also, them off at Sunday school. Don't go to adult ed and go to Starbucks. We're not That's watching. Exactly We're right. not watching. That's exactly right. To, to have a have a little have a little time with your maker yes. and with yourself and with your spouse, and yes. you're, you're probably not going to regret it. And that um, there may be someone at a church who needs you or that you need, mm-hmm. you know, and that 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 Ooh, real human word. connection, real human connection is is difficult and messy. 
And I think I've said this before, you know, I used to think in my sort of college years in 20, I was like, gosh, Christians or people at church are weird. Like Christians are so strange. And then I realized, no, they're not. I just know them better than I know anybody else. Mm. And if you get, <laughs> as you get to know people, you recognize that everyone is weird. Everyone yeah. is strange. Everyone yeah. has skeletons in their closet. But guess what? So do you. Yeah. And to be part of a community where you get to know people on that level is is it's reality and it's a gift um and that there is something grounding and true of being part of a church community in that way that you're not going to get anywhere else and i do you know my wife and i actually were just talking about this recently with one of our sons we had a good friend in college um who said to us a number number of occasions gosh i wish i could find the community like you guys have at church without going to church and we sort of said good luck you know, right. and we're like, why don't you come? And she she came and checked it out a few times, but she had baggage from her past. You know, you talk about that also, Sarah. Yeah. You know, she had an, a, a destructive church experience and it was kind of like, no, thank you. So I think as much as, you know, we, we are in the church can bind up those wounds as much as possible and, and um, make people feel welcome and loved and okay. And then for those of us who aren't going to church but call ourselves... Christians to, um, I don't know, find some way to get there, even if it means like not quite looking our best. You know, maybe you just roll out of bed and barely make it to church, and that's okay. Especially if you have, you know, especially if you have little kids. My goodness, it's it's hard. Well, I just, I, I think I wanted to say that I so appreciated RJ talking about how difficult it is to get to church. Um, I think it's difficult, even if I think it's difficult for single people. I mean, I think I was just talking to a woman in our church a few weeks ago who said how much she, and she's single, but how much she loved being in our church, but also how hard it was because she was divorced, she had kids, like, and that it was hard to be around kids. I think it can be hard and isolating for everybody to be at church. I think it can be very difficult for families with children. I think small children and grown children, like, I mean, by grown, I mean high school. Because I have plenty of friends who, you know, they struggle to convince their high schooler to actually go to church. I mean, it's My a kids debate. don't want to get up before noon yeah, on Sundays. I mean, it's, Are it's, you kidding? Like, they just want to sleep thing. and sleep sleep. So I think that's important to acknowledge. But what I think I want to say to the preachers who listen to this is, so when you take to the pulpit, don't make them more tired. Yes. Like, don't mm-hmm. make them feel more alienated. Yes. Yes. Don't make them feel more like they don't fit into whatever, like, social cause you've decided the whole church is doing. I mean, I just, yeah. I think there's there's a lot to be said for remembering that every time we preach. I always, 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 and RJ, you probably preach this way. Dave, you probably preach this way. But I always preach like people have never heard of who Jesus is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I always preach to a room full of people who are tired and who and in, who haven't met the Lord. And you know? are also you acknowledge that they're in some kind of pain. Yes. That yes. they're not they're not there by accident usually. Uh, one thing I was thinking about, you know, Sarah, you and I have talked about this, and it's and it's almost I almost hesitate to say it out loud, uh, but all of these articles about religious decline and numbers would would upset me personally more if I wasn't surrounded by people within, yes, within Mockingbird, just but just friends, whose churches are not just doing okay, but they're growing. But they're growing. And they're doing really well. And yeah. their people are flocking. And yeah. you want to say, you know, we, we're happy to tell you what it is we're doing. If, you know, and right. we, actually, yes. you're doing everything you can. Go read Sarah's article. Yes. Uh, they're, they're, we're... 
we're not, uh, you know, it's not a secret. It's, uh, and uh, so I would, if, if I thought that there was truly a lack of hunger for God or a lack of hunger for uh, grace, then I'd be, be like, what's going on? Or just meaning, uh, right? Or because meaning. all of these things in our lives that we are told are going to give us meaning don't. Yes. Right? I mean, y'all know I profess my undying love for national public radio. I mean, I'll probably die with a little radio playing in my coffin. Um, but every time they do stewardship season, well, what are they, whatever they call it, fundraising, they're always like, you know, we'll help you make meaning of your lives. I'm like, no, you don't. You're not doing that. Like, none of these meaning-making places. I mean, that, and that, we we can kind of really kind of just be dismissive of that phrase in Christianity, like, because it's the gospel and it's the cross. And, and it is all these things, but essentially, those are helping people to make meaning of of sadness and redemption in their yes, lives. Yes, but that's the other thing. Uh, the reason people aren't going to church as much, the reason millennials aren't going to church is, again, I just I say it uh, till the cows come home, it's not because of science or materialism. It's not yeah. really even because of politics. The no. reason they're not going is because it doesn't seem at all urgent to them. And no. what does seem urgent is sleeping in on Sunday, the only day they're allowed to sleep in, and we're so inundated with things we have to do. And millennials especially are never stopping to work. So the very second they get a break, the last thing they want to do is another obligation or or another place where they go, and they might possibly f- even be made to feel guilty. What is urgent about church is not the social programs. And what is urgent about church is not even the community as great as that stuff is. What is urgent about it and what's becoming increasingly clear every second is that what urge what's urgent about it is God and the forgiveness and grace and absolution that is offered there, which is not being found anywhere else. The mercilessness is just killing people. The despair is very real. The hopelessness is impossible. So, that is the urgency. That's like what the... And everything else that we offer and the cause stuff, there's there's plenty to that. You know, it's not like it's it's all good, but when you think about it in terms of... Save I, it for the announcement. I though, choose what's... I choose to do what's <laughs> urgent. You know, and I go from one urgent thing to the next. Yes. And yes. we've if there's nothing urgent about um I need to get there to get to be forgiven or I need to get there to have a, a moment silence like that's yes. what is urgent to me. And that's yeah. that's that's um that's clearly that might not become as urgent to people until they get older until the aging process knocks the wind out of their sails a little bit more. Um, but I don't think that churches are going to compete in the sort of like, this is going to be the most interesting thing you do today, or this is going to be the most enriching thing you do today. It's going to be, here's where you can offload that enormous burden of guilt and shame. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, and I, I mean, I say, and I know that you guys are in churches that this is true too. I, I hope and I pray that as people age that they do, and we certainly have some of that, people look up and say, I need a church. I need to have meaning. But we actually have millennials that join our church like all the time. Yeah, us too. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like when I read this stuff, I'm like, ooh, sugar, you know? Um, that's a that's 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 a thing uh that that is actually, you know, they're always visiting, they're always joining. And and I do believe, I mean, I don't know why. I have no idea why. I don't think the Lord is up in heaven trying to, you know, specifically, you know, give Mockingbird anointed blessings. But I think that there's, I mean, it's the Mockingbird's the reason I say in ministry. There's an urgency behind actually believing in the, that Jesus is for you. And I think part of the reason that we have young families joining 
yes, we have some programming, but all churches have programming for young families because they all want young families. Churches are like vampires. Um, but we actually believe that the gospel is compelling and is urgent and and people need to be there. Churches don't feel urgent anymore. I mean, and it I makes don't know about an enormous but, difference. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Is it does. The, yeah. RJ, you're are you you're are you quiet? I'm quiet. I mean, we're seeing. We're, what are, <laughs> I disagree with everything you say. I disagree with every with everything you're saying. I also, I, I'm having a little. You know, I know that there are pastors who are listening to this, whose maybe churches aren't growing. Yeah, and I don't, and I don't want them to feel Absolutely. Uh, like they're doing something wrong. Because, man, it's a it's a mystery. There are what, other, what a, many are, other n- factors. What did Nick Lannon? What did Nick Lannon say? Ministry is waxing the surfboard and waiting for God to send waves. Um, mm. And that we can't, you know, God, we can't do, all we can do is like put our best foot forward, preach the gospel, you know, be kind. God is the one who sends waves. And so anyway. Yeah, I that's why I didn't want to say it. The second I say these things, like our church is going to well, tank, it's, but. It's hard. It's, it's, it's hard work, man. But it's, it is hard work, but it is good work and it is true work. And uh, and to remember, you know, it, it's not like um, the people like Jesus and pa- Peter and Paul were experienced tremendous earthly success. You yeah. know, um, it's and and uh, the, the point so is not hard. really. And the, again, the point is not to get people in pews or in the, in a seats. The point is, uh, I was talking to someone the other day who's like, "Oh, I just see these people out in the community, and I know that they sort of come to church once every, you know, eight eight months, and it bothers me." And I'm saying, "Well, you're seeing them then, you know, like it's yes. they, it's yes. okay that they don't." You know, yes. and they think they go to your church. They think right? they go to I our mean, church. We have those sweet people, yeah, and they're members at our church. And I do that now. That was so RJ. That was so loving and pastoral. And um, and RJ gave y'all the gospel, so I'm gonna give y'all the law. Booyah! You may not have people coming in your church, and you may be struggling. And I get that, and I hear that, and we've been in those seasons. Please reach out to churches that you know are growing. Find those clergy and ask them what they are doing. You don't have that doesn't have to be like you don't have to live in that. Like you actually can like reach for resources outside of yourself and try to figure out what you can do that's right. So I do I do just want to say that because I think I don't know. I I for me, one of the sad things is I know all these churches that are going and people won't, you know, there's churches are like anything else. There's weird feelings and bad feelings and, you know, all the sins on the list. Competition, ego. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's all. These are people on either side. and I, but I, I Actual think, bureaucracy and institutionalism, yeah. Yeah, but I, I do think that you can reach out to some of these clergy. Hell, send me an email and ask me what we're doing. I'll send you, I'll send you a list. You know what I mean? Like... Because um, I, you don't have to suffer alone in ministry. I know, and I, I, I also hear the fact that people, you know, yo, you're in Texas, you're in Virginia. Those cultural contexts are different. Well, let me tell you about the churches I know. You know, in the super educated parts of you know New York State or Can- right. Canada, right. there it it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that there's a secret a, a silver bullet. Um, right. And God did never promise that we would be successful. Um, but I, 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 I do. I would just say personally, I'd feel more demoralized if I didn't see wonderful growth happening in all sorts of unexpected and cool ways. That is, that is the fruit not of uh, haranguing folks, but of people still having the same hungers that Christine Emba talks about, and the same, uh, you know, 
this the same and, and needing their their souls being hungry for God, basically, even if they can't even use those terms. So I don't know. Maybe that made us sound self-congratulatory, but I, I think it's right too. I mean, we never get asked why. Because people I think assume, oh, it's the context. They've got money. Oh, they've got yeah. they've if I had so and so on staff, you'd be like, right. Well, some of that stuff right. may help, but maybe there's but. also other things going on that that are actually, you know. Maybe there's someone, an older person, an aging person, uh, who who has some wisdom to share. <laughs> um, well, um, anything else to share, you guys? Anything pop culturally that we? we I, I know that I need to listen to this Dolly Parton. Uh, oh my uh, Podcast. I mean, we should have just talked about that the whole time. <laughs> if you're feeling, if you're having a hard time at your church, just go listen to Dolly Parton's America. Oh. Just, Unbelievable. I can't even. So good. It's so hard for me to listen to. I think I texted y'all this because I didn't realize until I heard it. And I've always listened to Dolly, but I didn't realize until I heard it that my grandmother listened to so much Dolly Parton. And, you know, my grandmother was a very young widow and then, like, got out on the dating scene in the 60s. And so I wonder even how much of that she was listening to then, you know. And she would sing. She would project her voice up and that have that vibrato and sing like Dolly. Um, and so, She had a song in her heart. Oh, she did. She had, we all have songs in our hearts in my family, aren't they? <laughs> Wake up with a song in your heart. Oh man, RJ, anything, anything, any, any football news to share? You feeling nicely, Ooh, nicely, uh, uh, what placated? I'm really pacified. Uh, uh, you know, I'll say what you know. Alabama plays LSU this weekend, and I'll just say again: the only possible positive outcome is that the stadium explodes and everyone dies <laughs> because I because I hate the SEC. <laughs> but um, but there you go. I'll be I'll be enjoying that. What is it that sign that's in Tuscaloosa? I think I've tried to quote it on here before and can remember, but it's like it's it's roll it's roll tide and it has the it has the crimson wave and it says like the the real blood of Christ. Oh my god! I saw Alabama. I was cracking up. I think it was Paul Castelli who posts the funniest things on Facebook. He posted some meme of a bunch of people sitting covered in snow at a football game on a sun, and it said like the the title was like, "And y'all really couldn't come to church like." <laughs> to the outside, but that's urgent to them. That is urgent, yeah. and that is yeah. relaxing, and is and and, uh, is. and, and, and of, of utmost importance. Um, yeah. Well, it's of utmost importance that I get to talk to you guys every couple weeks. Yeah. So thank you for you're good, David. Zoll. Supporting, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we're gonna head into stewardship season for Mockingbird pretty soon, Sarah, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we'll be puffing ourselves up even more then. So Ooh, fantastic. Yeah, buckle up. Buckle up. Well, blessings to you both. And uh, you yeah. Too, Dave. You say too, Sarah. I hope you don't get canceled. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening. Remember, you can find us on the web at www.mbird.com. And we'd always love to hear from you at info at mbird.com. Audio production for The Mockingcast is provided by the Narrativo Group, and if you like what you've heard, please do drop over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Until next time. Praise the Lord.